0: This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL.
1: So as we continue on on this distance race that is this pandemic, we need a little splash of reality. We always do. We need a reason to say, yeah, we just got to keep doing this. And that reason is you don't want to get this. You really, really don't because there is a chance that it can do some pretty devastating things. We're lucky enough to have with us right now Ross Lunn. And Ross has had COVID-19. Ross, how are you doing now?
2: I'm doing great now. Uh, it's been, what, five months since I got home? And when I got home June 3rd on my 71st birthday... I was barely able to walk a little bit, but now I'm walking three kilometers a day.
1: Hey, well, that's that's remarkable. Okay, that's that's good news. That's exactly the kind of thing that we want to hear, but at the same time, you were hardly able to walk at all when you got home. And just the fact that you say got home, that means you weren't at home. That means you didn't contract COVID-19 and stay in bed for a couple of days and then declare yourself well and get back to life. That's usually what happens when you have a flu. That's usually what happens if you have a bad cold. Uh, we've heard that this is not either of those things. Ross, where did you have to go?
2: I signed myself into the Elgin General Hospital in St. Thomas and uh, June knows more of the dates than I do because I remember walking out and walking into the ambulance and that's the last I remember for
1: 40 some days. For 40 some days and June your wife is there with you right now right?
3: Yes I'm right here.
1: June. Let's let's kind of go back to that time. So Ross remembers an ambulance being called, walking out of the house, getting into the ambulance, and then that's when those memories stop for over 40 days. Can you take us through what was happening for you at that point?
3: Well, actually, Ross and I went in on the same day. He went in uh, first. I think they thought he was serious, but he did walk out and get on the stretcher. And I was not feeling well myself, so I was uh, in hospital and tested positive. So I was in for three days. And uh, Ross was in ICU for 50 days. Uh, 41 of those, he was on a ventilator, and those were the toughest times um, for us. I came home um, and certainly was isolated for uh, the the length of time. Um, So those were the the tougher times when he was uh, in ICU, Um, very low at times, they called me down that first night, uh, not knowing that we really did have the virus. It was so early on that we felt um, like we had colds and I was diagnosed from the hospital with pneumonia, uh, but not tested at that time. So it was such early on, we didn't think, we didn't really think that's what we possibly could have. We just thought we had pneumonia. But they actually did call me down that night like it was very serious within five hours uh they called me down to actually say goodbye and they didn't thought, think ross would make that first night
1: we're talking with june and ross Lunn, and we're talking about having COVID 19 and as both have said this was very early on in this pandemic so you you go from being at home june you go from being at home mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the two of you are in hospital, and you're being called saying your husband might not make it through the night. What emotions do you go through at that point?
3: Uh, Shock. Uh, We have three daughters, and of course, then I had to phone them. Um, Part of it, too, um, which was so serious for us as a family, was that we couldn't visit him uh, during the time he was, the whole 71 days he was in. We weren't allowed as visitors, so... That made it double hard, and I couldn't really see because of the pandemic like the uh, where everybody was isolated as should be, so we weren't able to really uh, be with one another so i um, I really have not kept up with technology and I as my family always said I kind of cursed it but uh, I don't know how we would have got through this without technology because um, we were able to set up uh, videos so that even though Ross Uh, physically he couldn't see us. We could see him as he progressed, um, very slowly. But each day we, for the first wall, I think we said he went, we was doing a two step, two forward, but one back. And we wanted him to do a waltz and get, uh, (laughs) get through this. So we had a lot of things that we had to do to, um, get through. And we had a slogan all the way through that Ross wasn't aware of was that, uh, And it sits on many signs in our homes now. We're family strong.
1: We're talking right now with Ross and June Lunn, who both have had COVID-19. And Ross spent over 40 days on a ventilator in ICU and then arrived home. So, June, are you talking about the two steps forward and one step back while Ross was still in hospital? Or is that once he got home?
3: No, that was in hospital. Um, he, I think his strength, uh, he farmed for 38 years, and he's still very active. Um, I think that's what got him, partly what got him, too. Of course, we praise the doctors every day. But and he, the nurses. And the nurses. Um, he, uh, he had a strong will um, and determination. And I think the doctors, uh, he didn't show it to us in the hospital. When we talked to him, he was very calm, but uh, we know his um, determination that he would have. So once he got to that point of um, coming through with the, the ventilator and they put, he had the trachinotomy in for 12 days and and once we could see that improvement, then uh, he, did, he did push to get through and each day he's done that as well at home to get to where he is today and we were told that um, when he came home, it's all new. They didn't know what the damage, still not 100% sure of what damage he's really got. But um, they told us he could be on oxygen the rest of his life. We weren't sure, but we would take whatever was given to us. And he did have oxygen when he came home. He did walk um, very slowly. It took him a lot to get around the house, but... Yeah, every day there was just improvement. So once he got home, he was, I think we said now he could do the polka.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that is okay. <laughs> the fantastic part about this story. Ross, there's farm tough. I mean, there's, there's being tough in life, and then there's farm tough. So right. good to know that you have that farm tough in you.
2: Well, the one doctor asked me what I had done all my life, and I said I had farmed for 38 years, and he just looked at me and he says, That's partly why you're here today.
1: No doubt. Ross, what do you remember about waking up in the hospital?
2: Uh, Waking up in the hospital, I had a whole bunch of stuff on my face. Uh, I couldn't move my head, couldn't move my arms or legs. It was a bit devastating to just kind of lay there motionless.
3: And you but, couldn't, you you wanted to feed yourself. I wanted to
2: feed myself because I looked up at the nurse and she's got a plastic spoon feeding me pureed food that babies would eat. <laughs> and I just looked at her and said, do you think I could do that myself? And she says, well, you want to try? And I said, well, yeah. So I got a hold of the spoon and shaking away, I got some of the stuff in my mouth and two days later... I had solid foods in front of me. (laughs) They wanted to make sure that I didn't choke on anything, I guess.
1: Right. But that's that's toughness and determination right there, and it's amazing to know that the two of you have that. And all of this comes from a virus that at this time last year, none of us knew anything about. I mean, June, do you ever stop and think that, that this was just a virus, and you think about what it did to your husband and then what you had to go through and your family had to go through.
3: Yeah. It's just, um, at the time, um, and people, we still don't know first.
2: The Where big, we got yeah, it. Yeah.
3: The biggest question is where'd you get it? We don't know. We'll never know. Um, but in that early time when we weren't feeling well, it didn't really cross our minds because it was so early. We knew it was there. We knew it was out there, but of course you don't think it's going to hit your area. And, and, um, yeah, we just, um, it was early on. We didn't have, there's so many symptoms that have come out now that we probably would have seen then, maybe, but they weren't in, they weren't listed then. And it was the common, uh, sore throat and headache, which we both felt we had cold and we were weak, but we didn't have a temperature and we didn't have some of those early symptoms, but
1: it, uh,
3: it hit and, and now we know, yes. and, yeah.
1: What is the uncertainty like? Because, June, you said it. You don't know what long-lasting effects there might be, and everybody seems to have something that maybe is a little bit different. How do you guys deal with that?
3: Well, we don't. I I guess guess we
2: have to kind of deal with it. But they did tell me that I likely would have some lung damage, because that's kind of where it does hit. And I've been in and had some tests, and I haven't got all the results back yet. But... They said there could be some damage from COVID, or it could be from farming for 38 years, and maybe not wearing masks on my face when I should. But uh, time will tell, and I'm going in to have one more X-ray of my lungs. And they had taken one when I got to hospital. They took one the day I left to come home, and now they're going to take one to see what things look
3: like now. I guess. What a story. Would- Uh, Yeah, it's the uncertainty, and we think, like, when is this going to be where we get back to normal? Um, We Everybody thinks that we are immune, but we don't want to take any chances. That hasn't been totally proven, uh, that you can't get it again, so we want to be as safe as everybody else. But, you know, we do look at little areas. Uh, Ross's strength and certain things I can see aren't certainly back to normal but um it's just he's got to take things a little slower so that it's the breathing and um and myself i never know whether it's something that is that or maybe it's age creeping up on me we don't know some of these things but there's certainly uncertainty as far as side effects for sure
1: i guess Um, as a final thing and everyone who gets through COVID and, and beats COVID to the point that they can at least try and get back to normal lives, everybody gets asked this, what would you say to people who right now are are maybe, you know, tired of, of the pandemic and tired of the restrictions and tired of just this whole thing? June, what would you say?
3: Well, I think we're all at that point and we're all confused as to what um, what is the next step and what we should do. Um, and I think now, too, people are saying, well, we've got to live. Yes, we feel we do have to still live and we don't, we uh being so isolated. But we never want, I never want to certainly go through what we, see anybody go through what we did. And I just, I think we've done maybe interviews because we feel that people don't know other people that have had it. So we, we're an example that, yes, it is there and it can be very, very serious. So. I guess our biggest thing is to um, be safe and uh, and do wear mask. Yeah, and be and be aware of what we should be doing.
1: Ross, June, your fighting spirit's incredible. So thanks for having that, and thanks for sharing it with us, because this is something no one wants to go through, and you've described exactly why. Keep safe and mm-hmm. keep on the road to recovery, both of you. Thanks so much for the time.
3: Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye.
1: That's Ross and June Lund. And that's as real a story as you're going to get. Ross walks out of his house, lies down on a stretcher, gets into an ambulance, and doesn't remember roughly the next 50 days of his life. And June is told, as she's in the hospital, you've got to say goodbye to your husband because we don't think he's going to make it through the night. That's about as real as it gets. And their family did have other tragedies all of this was going on as well in the death of Ross's mom. So, I mean, this is why when we're putting one foot in front of the other, when we're in the middle of that race, when we're being told the finish line at least potentially exists, it's out there in in the distance somewhere, but that's why it's up to us to do that job, to keep putting the feet down on the pavement. They don't know where they got it from. It's not like they said, well, you know, we can blame them because they went to this family gathering or they went here when they shouldn't have. Or, No. They don't even know where they got it from and never will. They don't know what the long-term effects are and really might never know. That's as real a story as it gets, thanks to Ross and Peter. Let's check in on long-term care, because that's something that we do care deeply about. And that's something that has been at the forefront during this pandemic for concerns that we have not seen the right kind of care used. And not because of the people who are working there, just because of things like resources or the way the system has worked. And on Friday, there was another meeting that examined where we sit on all of this and we wanted to get an update now that the meeting has concluded and we've had a couple of days to have everyone kind of go over what was said dr doris grinspun joins us dr grinspun is the ceo of the registered nurses association of ontario dr grinspun how are you doing on this monday afternoon
4: Well, Mike, I just heard you saying that we all care about seniors in long-term care. And I know for a fact that you and I do, because we have discussed this a lot several times with your listeners. Does the province care, that's the real question? Uh, And my answer is I don't think so, because I met with the Premier last Monday in person by his request. We have spoken by phone We had, as you said, a press conference this past Friday, and yet nothing has happened. Nothing has happened, Mike, since the last time you and I spoke. Nothing has happened. Not a penny has been added to increase the hours of RN, RPN, or nurse practitioner care, or PSW. They are not with boots in the ground because the funding and the directives have not been put in place. The tragedy, Mike, is that the minister in charge of long-term care has medical background, so she ought to know that this is this will evolve into a bigger and bigger and bigger tragedy. Already, as you know, in the first wave, we had the disastrous results of over 1,800 deaths of seniors in residents in residents of nursing homes. Now we surpassed the 2,000. We surpassed the 2,000 since September 1st. Just so you know. Since September 1st, we had close to 1,700 residents that contracted the virus already. Um, About 1,600 staff, and now more with the terrible situation in the weekend. And yet the government, what is the government doing? Well, let me tell you what's doing. Today, they're passing Bill 218 likely which is the bill that will give to places like Siena, Extendicare, Chartwell, Chartwell et protection, protection, to not be sued by families or, or others. Um, this is the, the three companies I just mentioned, uh, pocketed $1.5 billion to shareholders in profits. The chairperson, of Chartwell, to give you an example, uh, close to $230,000 for a part-time job as chairperson of the board, and you know who that person is, I'm assuming. <laughs> it's our p- previous premier, Premier Harris. So instead of moving with Bill 13, which will give the four hours of care, the government is moving with protecting for profiteers.
1: Yeah, Dr. Doris Grinspun joining us because that's what we were going to mention the idea that hey, on November 2nd there was the promise to establish that new standard of care that's been asked for for a long time even when the conservatives were not in power that you up this to 4 hours on average each day for every single resident. So that sounded good. It doesn't like you sound like you're seeing that nothing, maybe nothing being put in play yet?
4: Nothing, 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 Minister Fullerton said she's bringing her plan in December. By December, we will have lost likely 300 more residents in long-term cares. It's a unfathomable tragedy of mega proportions that we should be all up in arms saying to the government, don't say you care if you really do not.
1: And as you point out, the protection comes in. that sounds like it's protecting the companies, some of them that have private interest, the companies that are running these long-term care facilities.
4: Mike, not only they have private for-profit interest, by law, a for-profit company, by law, their first fiduciary responsibility legally is to shareholders, not to residents. So when people complain about the for-profit homes because their results are 10 times worse than the not-for-profit, like the virus can get into any of them, but the residents in for-profit homes are way, way more in danger of actually dying from the virus because their situations are worse, the staffing is worse. Many of them still are in rooms that are more than two people, so one of the other pieces we ask on Monday is to urgently decrowd nursing homes with residents in multiple occupancy rooms because still that is happening. Still we have agency nurses or PSWs that are moving from one home to another because there is not enough staffing, right, because the government does not put the funding for the four hours. So homes use agency. So it's just a disaster. And going to what you said before about these mega parties of people, let me tell you, Mike, for each single listener that is listening, if people think that they're fooling around someone else, they are spitting to the sky and it may actually come right into their face the issue of thinking that you are immune to this virus and it will not happen nothing to you well think twice okay think twice because and we shouldn't be waiting any longer for government because government is taking too much time to lock us down and that's what they should be doing. and we did ask on Friday Mike that we need a complete twenty eight days lockdown except for essential services in schools in the, for all the red zones. And it should happen now because it's out of control. The virus is out of control. This virus doesn't take vacation, doesn't go to sleep even. This virus is nasty, and if, the, if we don't suffocate the virus, the virus will suffocate our health, our health care system. The ICUs are getting fuller and fuller. And it will suffocate our economy. Because the longer it gets out of control, Mike, the worse it is to actually then have our health care system functioning and to get the economy back running.
1: Dr. And George joining us.
4: I spoke about this with the premier, but the premier is too slow and moving.
1: Have you heard anything back based on any of the requests that you have made? Do you even get a response?
4: Well, uh, yes, the Premier said that he wants the documents uh, about the four hours of care, what we call, we call it long-term care, as you know, basic care guarantee. And my first question was, of course, I will send the document again, and we sent it the same day on Monday last week. Uh, But I asked, how come Minister Fullerton has not given him the document? She has it already for several months. What (laughs) are we waiting for? So enough of the rhetoric. I mean, I love the meetings with the Premier. You know, we get along well, but this is not about getting along well, Mike. This is about acting to protect vulnerable populations in nursing homes, in shelters when the winter comes, to protect our businesses so we can lock down and protect them with money for the workers, so we can lock down and get this nasty, horrible virus under control before it gets hold of all of us.
1: Dr. Doris Grinspun with us, CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. In closing, Dr. Grinspun, do you look around and say, okay, that province, they seem to know what they're doing, they have made changes, or that country, they have done something that we should do. Are you seeing any examples that maybe we could follow?
4: Absolutely. You gave it to me in a silver plate and we didn't even talk before, Mike. (laughs) <laughs> it's called COVID zero, COVID zero. And I think that this is the approach that Ontario needs to take. In fact, this is the approach that Prime Minister um, Justin Trudeau and the minister and, and, and Dr. Tam should take, and New Zealand, Australia, Iceland, several others have done it super successfully. But for that, you need a government that is willing to support the businesses and the workers during the lockdown. And then you get down to almost nothing, to almost zero virus, and you can get on with life in a much better way because then when there is one case or two cases or ten cases, you suffocate it, right? You, you right away get on that. And it's called COVID zero, and you will be hearing a lot more about that because this weekend several of the epidemiologists And RNO have joined into that movement because what's happening now, Mike, is a roller coaster. It's a horrible roller coaster. So we got in the summer 200 cases, right, or so, but we didn't suffocate it. And then it's like a fire. You know when you have a little fire and then becomes this massive fire? This is what's happening with with COVID. And how many times can businesses close and reopen and close and reopen? whether it's a gym or whether it's a restaurant, how many times, right? And this is why we are in the mess, quite frankly, that we are, because instead of taking a serious approach that suffocates the virus, we are letting the fire to continue to go, and sooner or later we will get many of us.
1: Dr. Grinspun, your passion from the beginning has not waned a bit, so please never lose that. And thank you so much for the update on this, even though it's one of those updates that seems to have everybody involved kind of banging their heads against the wall. We really well, appreciate the time. The
4: one that we need to all bang the phones and the phone calls and the doors is to Queen's Park to say, act now before it's not too late, because already it's too late. But before, as I said, the virus suffocates our health care system and many of the loved ones that we know and our economy by extension.
1: Dr. Grinspun, you keep safe. Thank you so much. That's Dr. Doris Grinspun, CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. And she has had that passion. She always has that passion. But she's had that passion since the beginning of this pandemic. And that's why, that's why when we started the show today, We outlined another, hey, here's a a vaccine that's performing well. Here's one in Great Britain that is doing very well. Last week we had Pfizer. That's why we pointed that out, because we're still running in the race. And if you say, yeah, no problem, just waiting for that vaccine, should be here anytime, it hasn't been ordered. It's not going to arrive on your porch. That's not the way that this works. And we are in a a tough spot right now. So would you be willing to lock it down? We've asked that question before, and some people say yes. Other people will say no, they don't want to lock it down, because that might mean the end of their business. It took, from the beginning, a concerted effort to deal with this. We haven't had that, and we won't, because people are people. And some will do what they're told, others will do anything but. And I always look at that when it comes to parenting. That you're lucky if your child realizes very early on, right from wrong. Some kids just won't. They just don't have it in them. And they will go against whatever it is you say. And that's just going to be the way that they go through life. And you'll butt heads with them. And we've butted heads with a lot of people. And this is the situation that we're in. 1,400 new cases today. Let's talk about something that normally would just be the big event that it is and would just have the ability to say, hey, look at each of these either individuals or businesses. Look what they've done. That's amazing. Let's celebrate. Let's have a good time. That's normally the way it goes. This year, little bit different, but at the same time, still just as impactful let's talk about the impact awards that are handed out by the saint thomas chamber of commerce as we chat with the head of the chamber right now mr paul jenkins mr jenkins how are things i'm
0: doing uh i'm doing pretty fantastic today mike thanks for having me on
1: that's good see that fantastic vibe can rush over all of us and and we can take a little fantastic into the rest of the afternoon. Let's talk about the Impact Awards. For anyone who maybe has never been to a ceremony or read about a ceremony, who is up for Impact Awards?
0: Uh, you want what the uh, Impact Awards of the St. Thomas District Chamber of Commerce? They are our annual celebration of com- business and community excellence. And uh, I agree with you. I think this year uh, is, is not a reason to stop celebrating our business community. In fact, it, it, it's all the more reason to to champion those that have helped us weather the storm, whether they're those businesses that have, you know, sponsor our, our local sports teams and, and really power organizations. So, uh, you know, in the past, Mike, we, we'd, obviously we'd meet together. Um, we'd come together in a big formal production and award these uh, in person. Um, and this year, uh, the Chamber, obviously, like a lot of organizations, has had to pivot. Um, and we're doing an online production uh, this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Uh, on the Chamber's uh, Facebook page. So uh, St. Thomas Chamber, and you can tune in on your Facebook dial.
1: Excellent. And that way, you still get an opportunity to say, hey, job well done, because we talk a lot about local businesses. Paul, can you give us a sense of what this has been like over the past now seven, eight months for some of the businesses in St. Thomas and District and what they've been going through?
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, you would know just as well. But it's been uh, 2020's been a, a wild ride um, for our business community, and and you know the chamber uh, included on that. I actually started the job uh, in March, and on my first day um, at the office, actually closed down our office. So, you know that was that was more of a mild uh, irritant than than something that was problematic. But uh, yeah, this uh, you know I'm not sure what. Uh, idiom we want to use but the the curveballs that our business community has been thrown this year have been numerous um you know i know we want to talk about good stuff but even even uh the challenges we faced as a business community and as a community at large over the weekend uh with the protests um you know it, it's been it's been a super challenging year but you know st thomas is kind of used to used to getting kicked in the pants every so often uh whether it's the loss of manufacturing um you know the, the uh, various other automotive job losses and things so you know we're we're a resilient community and and uh we're better because of all the businesses um that help make st thomas and and Southold and central elgin such a great place to in, to invest to work and to play
1: Paul Jenkins joining us, Chief Executive Officer of the St. Thomas and District Chamber of Commerce. Before we get into some of those positives and what the awards recognize, you did mention this past weekend, did you find that there were businesses that felt they had to close because of the concerns over a rally that fortunately didn't have a, a lot of people?
0: Yeah, it was pretty exciting that how little leg that rally had um but no it did it forced a lot of businesses businesses that decided hey i don't even want to be part of this narrative i don't want to be part of this conversation we got a good thing going um and and they did close down and i i think that the the reality is, is that the transmission rates in st thomas in particular and i know we're part of a bigger health region but we've done an outstanding job of limiting community transmission of allowing these businesses uh, you know, with new protocols in place, certainly, but allowing these businesses to stay open, to be successful and to be able to serve their clientele. Um, so there's a lot of great things going this weekend. And yeah, it was a setback. But I mean, if you were at the the Moonlight Masquerade, which was, uh, you know, some of those businesses saying, hey, we're going to shut down during the day, we just don't want to be part of this at all. Um, they opened up in the evening. And, and again, that's that's just the tenacity. That is our business community um, at large here in St. Thomas that, you know, hey, here, here's this curveball, but we're going we're gonna to be able to uh, pivot and, and to respond in a way that uh, treats ourselves fairly, our businesses, our customers, um, and really respects the best practices about, you know, how we can all get through this uh, pandemic together.
1: Great attitude. Paul Jenkins joining us, Chief Executive Officer of the St. Thomas and District Chamber of Commerce. So the Impact Awards come up on your Facebook page on Wednesday. Anybody can tune in. What sorts of things do you recognize with the Impact Awards, Paul?
0: Uh, we, we have uh, there's seven different awards um, we're, we're uh, handing out this year. Um, and it's everything from, you know, are you a new business over the last three years, Uh, and you've had some tremendous success. Are you an historically successful business that really needs to be recognized for your generational commitment uh, to our community? Um, We have an Inspirational Woman Award uh, as well this year, obviously, to recognize uh, the female entrepreneurs that power our business community. Um, So really, we, we, we try to provide an opportunity for businesses of all sizes, small businesses to enterprise size, um so that so that there's an opportunity for everyone to engage in this award ceremony
1: fantastic so one more time how exactly do people go and view the awards on wednesday all righty
0: and so it's not just the the awards mike absolutely that's part of it but this is a high-end production we're gonna put a put a stamp on the saint thomas business community like we haven't in the past there's entertainment throughout so we've got local musicians that are going to be featured throughout the uh throughout the piece we even got mayor joe preston who's got a comedy set that's actually incorporated into uh our production as well and all you got to do you like the facebook you like try that again you like the chamber on facebook that's st thomas chamber facebook.com slash uh, st thomas chamber and uh you know what just be online the bet the best part is it's a real high-end production if you if you got the technological aptitude you can project it on the big screen and that's really how we want people to consume it we didn't want to do a zoom call uh we wanted to do something that really uh celebrates our community and really showcases all the great things going here from our elevated park to our downtown core um and then again highlights uh the business community and all all the entrepreneurs that make uh, our community such a great place to live work and play
1: outstanding paul keep up the great work thanks so much for the time today Really enjoy you having me on. Thanks so much, Mike. That is Paul Jenkins. Talking about the Impact Awards at the St. Thomas and District Chamber of Commerce that come up on Wednesday. And already he's given us the must see the mayor of St. Thomas, Joe Preston, former federal politician, with a comedy set. You. You cannot pass that up. We'll have to have Mayor Preston on later this week. and uh, Or maybe I can get a copy of the comedy set, because we won't ask him to redo it. But maybe I, maybe I can get a, a little snippet from the awards on Wednesday night. We'll see.
0: You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.